0: Think about your life. Every day you wake up and fight to live in freedom and against fear. But Christ has already won the battle for our freedom. We didn't earn it. The battle was won when Jesus died on the cross. We don't deserve it. He gives us grace because of his great love for us. And our freedom was secured when Christ rose from the dead. The grace of God gives us freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom to live the life he calls us to. We aren't saved by trying harder. We aren't saved by trying to be good. Only Jesus can save us and set us free. So enjoy God's gift of grace in your life. Be at peace and live in freedom. Well, good morning everybody. Hope you've had a great week. Tomorrow is the last day in September. And do you know what this means? We are getting dangerously close to Christmas. It's just around the corner. It's just a few months away. I actually love from October to the end of December, it is my favorite part of the year. Every month has got good stuff. I mean, every part of the calendar has good things, but nothing comes close to October through December. All of the special holidays... And the fact that by the end of October, the Astros will have won their second World Series. I mean, come on. And in just two weeks, if there's no hurricanes, the weather is going to be crazy good in Houston. I mean, we'll be down into the 80s finally, right? (laughs) Other people, it's like 60s and 70s, we'll be finally into the 80s, and it is going to, the, the heat will be broken, and it's going to be just amazingly great. Good days are coming, amen? Good days are coming. Here we go. This morning, we are continuing a series going through the book of Galatians in a series entitled, How to Live in Freedom. Freedom means so much to God. There is so much in the Bible about the whole idea of living our lives in freedom. God does not want us to be enslaved to fear, to depression, to anger, to bitterness, to sin and guilt. He doesn't want us to be enslaved. He wants us to be free. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, That you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son has given you freedom, you will be truly free. When Jesus said the truly free part, he was saying that there is not, this isn't fake freedom, this is real freedom. We understand fake today, it seems like there's fake everywhere. There is fake butter. There is fake flavors, fake fur, fake leather, fake news. There is fake around us. But with Christ, there is nothing fake about this freedom. You and I can live our life in freedom that God gives to us. The deeper we walk with Him, The deeper that we walk with Christ, the deeper the freedom of our life. And this morning, I want to talk to you about how to live your best life. In this whole series, in How to Live in Freedom, I want to talk to you about how to live your best life. And it comes from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I want us to look at this verse today, Galatians 2.20. When I was in college, when I was 18 years of age, for the very first time in my life, I really, I really captured this verse. It's like the verse jumped off the page of the Bible and grabbed hold of me and said, I am yours. And when I was 18 years of age, I decided this would be my favorite verse in the Bible, Galatians 2.20. It would be my life verse, and it has been all these years. What is amazing to me, though, and I mentioned this to Kathy a couple of days ago, I've looked back and all my ministry, I've never even preached from this verse ever before. I've referred to it from time to time, but for the very first time today, I want to teach from Galatians 2.20, which I consider to be one of the greatest all-time verses, the greatest verse as far as I'm concerned of the Bible. It has been, for me, my true north. There have been times in my life that I was in confusion about what to do, how to live. I was not happy with me. And God kept taking me back to Galatians 2.20. This is who I want you to be. This is how I want you to live. It has been a true north verse for me. So what I want to do today is just share with you what God has taught me over the years about this verse. And what I've discovered about this verse is to understand the verse, you have to start at the end of the verse, not the beginning of it. you got to start at the end of the verse and then backtrack To the beginning, once we understand the last phrase, and here is the last phrase, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Everything about the verse turns on this one truth. We Christians hold that there is one God who has shown himself in three ways. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is not about three gods. It's about one God who has shown himself in three distinct ways. Now, where do we come up with this? It is because in the New Testament, and some in the Old Testament, but especially in the New Testament, there are so many. Times in which the New Testament scriptures give the assignment, so to speak, of the nature of God, the description of the nature of God to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again, it talks about the fact that Jesus is God who's come in flesh. That Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is Let me give you an example of that. It's John chapter 1 and verse 1, and listen to what it says. In the beginning was the Word. Now, circle the word, Word, W-O-R-D. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, stop for just a moment. We'll, we'll look at the rest of the verses that are there, but, but stop for a moment. The word, word, is talking about a person. How do we know? Because in verse 3, it uses the word, he. In the beginning was the word, and then in verse 3, he was with God in the beginning. The word is someone And notice the characteristics of this someone. First of all, he has no beginning because in the beginning there he was. There is no start to this person who is the Word. There is no beginning because in the beginning there he was. And he was with God and he was God. Notice what then verse 3 says. All things were made through him... And without him, nothing was made that was made. So listen to what he's saying about this person who is called the Word. He is also the creator of everything. He created the whole universe. And if there are more than one universe, he created all of them too. And everything that is inside the universe, this one who is the Word created it. So who is this one that is the Word? Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's Jesus. So listen to what it is describing Jesus to be. Jesus was in the beginning. He didn't have a start. He wasn't created. He didn't have a beginning. He's always been. He was with God, He was God. He created everything that's been created. And now this Jesus becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus is God who took on a body and came to this earth. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. The word Messiah just means promised one, and there were all these promises in the Old Testament, beginning in the book of Genesis, all the way through, and very distinct, minute kind of detail promises, so that no one could have this happen. That no, you, you wouldn't. Have, it, there is no one who could fulfill all these prophecies without the supernatural intervention of God. And just at the time that this was to be fulfilled, the Messiah come, an angel appeared to Joseph. Joseph and Mary appeared to Joseph and said this in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. And and Mary will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus for, circle the word for, he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus simply is a word that simply means Savior. It means uh, the one who rescues. You will call His name Jesus because He will rescue His people from their sins. So, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that's Isaiah, he's talking about, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Jesus, the Son of God, is God in flesh who took on a body, who left heaven, took on a body, came to this earth, and lived among us. He is God in flesh who came to give himself for your and my salvation. Jesus did many things while he was here. He, he showed us how to live life. He surrendered his power and his glory, and left there that on the on his throne in glory. He left that, and he came to this earth. He did not operate through his own power. He operated through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived his life, all of his miracles, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not his own power. Listen to what the Bible says. It's all over the New Testament. But for an example, Luke chapter 4 verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, his baptism, and was led by the Spirit into the desert. That's where he went through this time of temptation. And at the end of that time of temptation, in Luke chapter 4 verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Everything Jesus did in his ministry, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And then when he came to the end of his ministry, he ascended back to heaven. And when he did, he sent that same Holy Spirit to come and fill our life and empower our life. He showed us how to live by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you and I would follow him in his steps and we would live by that same power that he lived by. Jesus told us things about God, about the heaven, our Heavenly Father that we did not know that had never been revealed in God's Word until Jesus revealed them. And the closeness and the intimacy of the relationship that God wants to have with us, Jesus introduced that to us. But the primary purpose of Jesus' coming was not to show us how to live, was not to do miracles, was not to teach us new things about God. The primary reason Jesus came was to die to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He came to give his life for you and me. And what motivated him to do it? It was his love for you and for me. It was the very words of Jesus. He's the one that speaks, John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to die motivated by his love for you so that if you were the only human being who ever lived on the face of the earth, he would have still come for you. This is why he came. There were a couple of bird hunters who were out in the prairie and they were shooting bird, birds and, uh, for, to eat, and they were having a great time. They were out in a prairie, and all of a sudden, they saw this smoke begin to rise, and, and it, it was just covering uh, the sky, and they realized there was a prairie fire. And in fact, it kept spreading so quickly. It was almost from one horizon to the, to the next horizon, But then suddenly the wind changed and now they could smell the smoke and they knew that that meant it was coming for them. The fire was raging so quickly that they knew they could never get away. They could never run fast enough to outrun the fire. They had no hope of survival until suddenly they had an idea. And both of them pulled out matches out of their pockets and started lighting the grass and the bushes on fire around them. And they lit all of these, the grass and bushes around them to a giant circle around them. And it burned all the grass away and burned all the brush away. And just before this prairie fire had reached them, now, they got their handkerchiefs, they, they covered it with water, covered themselves with as much water as they could, and they got in the very center of the burned out area, and they hunkered down, and they waited for the fire to arrive, and it raged toward them. But it suddenly stopped at the edge of the burn, of that place where they had already burned out. It suddenly stopped and then it's progression and it began to go around them and it kept on going past them. They were rescued. Why? Because the fire cannot burn what it has already burned. Do you understand? This is the idea of the cross. Jesus died our death on the cross so that when death comes, it cannot harm us. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 11 that whoever believes and, and follows me will never die. You say, wait a minute, we die. No, we, our body dies, but we don't die. Who we are on the inside, our personality, our, our awareness of ourselves, That never dies. The very moment that our body dies, our spirit, our soul comes up out of that body, and being totally us, we go immediately into the presence of God. The reason that is true, yeah, you can applaud that. That is is the miracle of God. And the reason that happens is because Jesus died our death. Jesus died our death on the cross so that death could not harm us. His death and resurrection was the single most important event in human history because it changed our destiny. It's the reason that we're here today. Without the substitutionary atonement of Jesus and his resurrection, we would have no hope and we would have no reason To be here. Now, there is a phrase I want you to grab hold of: substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? It means that He was our substitute on the cross. That cross should have been ours, that death should have been ours but instead he took it upon himself. Substitutionary atonement means that it should have been me who died for my own sins, but instead Jesus died in my place in order to buy my salvation. We're the sinners, not Jesus, but he's the one that died, not us. It was my death that he died. And three days later, Jesus arose from the grave and reigns forevermore in heaven at the right hand of the throne of the Father. This is the whole idea that Paul is saying, that the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now the question is, what is to now be our response? Here is Jesus who gave himself up on the cross. He died in my place. How am I to respond to him? What difference is this to make in how I live my life? Now we go back to the beginning of the verse. I am crucified with Christ. What a strange phrase. The Apostle Paul did not die of crucifixion. Paul died of being beheaded. But Paul, long before he ever dies, says, I have already been crucified with Christ. So what does this mean? It means this, that my old self, who I was before I accepted Christ into my life, has been nailed to the cross of Christ so that it's no longer the old me who lives, but it's the new me that lives, because it's Christ who lives in me. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about to his own disciples in his ministry when he made this statement in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will save it. The Greek word that is translated deny. He says, if you're going to be my follower, you've got to first deny yourself. The word deny means to completely disown, to no longer count as important. And the self that Jesus is talking about is that part of our nature that seeks its own way. Every one of us, it's human nature to seek our own way. I don't care what God wants. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to say what I want to say and do what I want to do and I'm going to go my own way and I am going to be on the throne of my own heart. And Jesus says, okay, but the person who saves his life will lose it. And only the person who gives up his life For Christ, will save it. All of us have a throne inside of our heart. And if we insist that we will be on the throne of our own life, we will end up missing out on the life that God intended for us to experience. We will end up making decisions that will take us down paths that we should have never gone down. We will end up destroying so much of our life because out of stubbornness we say to God, I will not do what you want me to do. I will go my own direction and do my own thing. And God says, okay. But he that saves his life will lose it. The only way that you will live your best life is to give your life up for me. And then you'll save it. What he's meaning is this. You must come to the place in your own heart of your own free will to take yourself off of the throne in your heart and put God on that throne. And if you will... It will rescue you from so many wrong decisions. It will rescue you from so much heartache. It will change your marriage. It will change your dating life. It will change your future if you will put God on the throne of your heart. He'll rescue you. He'll save you from so much mess. But he will not force himself on you. You've got to make the decision for yourself. Jesus said, look, if you're going to be my disciple, the first thing you've got to do is to deny self in you. You've got to do the hard thing of being willing to take yourself off the throne of your life and put God on the throne of your life and say, okay, God, whatever you tell me to do, the answer is yes. It begins with denial of self-will, in disobedience to God. There's a second thing that happens. Well, Jesus is actually calling us to give up the throne of our life and allow God and His Word to guide our life. The first part is denial. But the second thing He says is, I now am saying to you, you must take up your cross. We've romanticized the cross today. Pretty much the only way we think of the cross today is in jewelry. We wear it around our neck or we wear it as an earring or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Don't hear me say there's anything wrong with it because it's not. As long as you're following Christ. If you are not following Christ, do not wear a cross because it's false advertising. If you are following the Lord, if you're really living for God, use the cross as jewelry to be a witness of Jesus Christ. One of the things that so frustrates me when I see movies, have you seen movies in which the bad guy, the bad guy in the movie has got a cross earring in his ear or a big giant cross around his neck? Have you seen movies? And when I see it, I just want to, if I could find the writer of the movie and slap him. Because I know what you're doing. I know that it's a slam against Christianity to have the bad guy wearing the cross. And it so frustrates me. When Jesus said, I want you to take up your cross, he was not saying, I want you to wear a cross around your neck. The cross in the New Testament time stood for death and disgrace. And suffering. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you must be willing to take this on your life. A call to the cross is a call to suffer anything, anyone brings against you because of your connection to Christ, if that means being disgraced in the eyes of others because of your love for him, if that means being laughed at or ridiculed or appearing to be a failure, whatever it means, that you're willing to take the derision from others to follow the will of God. To take up your cross means that you die to the need of approval by others. To take up your cross means that you die to the world's definition of success. Lindsay DeWar, in his book, The Moral Conduct of a Christian, writes this. He says, the cross signifies the willing acceptance of failure, outward and apparent failure in obedience to the will of God. This apparent failure, however, is really and truly success if it is the result of seeking to obey that will. The Christian who seeks to direct his life in accordance with the divine will can't fail, for even if it should seem as though he failed, his very nature is itself success. It's heady stuff that he's writing. But this is the idea. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to take yourself off the throne of your heart and put Jesus on the throne of your heart. And second of all, you've got to be willing to take on my cross even if it means people mocking you and laughing at you and ridiculing you. Being willing to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying when he says, I have already been crucified with Christ. But there's a second thing that he says in Galatians 2.20, and I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul is talking about a belief in Jesus that is so deep, so strong, not just believing that Jesus existed, not just even believing that he's the Son of God, but a belief that is so strong that I choose to follow him no matter where it is that he leads me. I choose to obey His word. Wherever you lead, I will go. Jesus was saying this very idea in Matthew 16 24 when He says, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, you won't do the follow unless we've first done the denial of self and the taking up of our cross. So, what does it mean to follow Him? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example, that you should follow in His steps. To follow Christ means that I am willing to obey you and go in the direction you tell me to go, no matter The struggle and the opposition and the difficulty that it may bring to my life. Jesus said to follow me means that you obey my word. In John chapter 8 verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in me, you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. The word abide means to set up a tent and live. It means to camp out in. It means to remain in. It means to draw life from like a plant draws life, draws life from the nutrients of the soil. Jesus is saying that the proof that you are my disciple is that you love and obey what his word tells you to do. God, whatever you tell me to do about how it is that I am cont- to conduct my marriage, how it is that I am to parent my children, how it is that I am to act at work, how it is that I am to act in my moral life, however you tell me to live, the answer is yes. I will follow you. The proof that we're following Christ is that we hear and obey God's word. So now I'm asking you a question. What is it that God is telling you to walk away from? What is it that He's telling you to walk away from? You know it's the wrong direction, you know it's the wrong thing. And you have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart and you knew it was wrong but you have said, I'm going to do it anyway. What is it that God is telling you to walk away from? What is it that God is telling you to walk to? What challenge has God put in front of you? What what direction has God told you to go in and you've said no to him? What is it that God has told you to walk to today? The Holy Spirit of God is coming and speaking to your heart and mine too, and He is saying to us this morning, there's some things in your life that I have been trying to root out of you, and I'm asking you today to be willing to turn from it and turn your heart back to me. And I'm asking this morning, would you be willing to say, oh God, wherever you lead, I'll go? What is it that God is saying to you? I want to do this in your life. I want to lead you in this direction. And I'm asking you to come and follow me. I'm asking you to take on this new challenge and say yes to me. This is the morning. I'm asking you to say yes to God. Wherever he leads, you make the decision, you'll go. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning for every one of us in this room, for those in this room that do not know Christ as Savior. And there has been this conviction inside their heart, I need God, I need to know the God that made me. But there has been the the, uh, the, the, the push inside of them to say, well, not right now, maybe another day. God, I pray that this morning would be the day of salvation. I pray that there would be many in this room that would be willing to say today, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Father, for many in this room that know you, who have accepted Christ in their heart, but are not living for you and they know it. In those things that your Spirit has been coming to our heart and saying, you've got to turn away from this. You've got to repent of this. Oh God, may this be the day of recommitment of hearts to say, Lord Jesus, you died for me. You purchased my eternity and today I deny self. I pick up my cross and I come and follow you. God, I pray you would move in hearts of believers today to be willing to turn from things that they know are wrong. And Father, I pray that you would move in hearts today of believers that would be willing to say, God, yes, what you are leading me to do, the answer is yes. I will come and follow you. God, may this be a day of personal revival in hearts today.